everybody, welcome to Chromacast episode 39. I'm Jeff DeVoe and I'm here with... Jeff Tovar. Welcome, welcome, thank you very much. Today we have a really special guest, uh, somebody that Jeff and I have known for many years. He makes great, great, I would say just all kinds of great bass music. We're here with Matt Deco. Welcome, Matt. Hello. How you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? Yeah. Good, good. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming out on an early Sunday morning. Appreciate that. My pleasure. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like being up early on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so nice. <laughs> so, yeah, welcome, man. Um, we want to get you to maybe talk uh, to our listeners about what you do, where you're from, all that stuff. Do you want to give us like a lowdown on how you got into electronic music and what you're up to uh yeah i should go all the way back yeah dude all the way all the way okay back back into time (laughs) uh i guess i got into electronic music probably in the late 90s Mm -hmm. uh mostly through trip hop and like early drum and bass so i was like wandering into tower records yeah and buying massive attack stuff or the like metalheads like platinum breaks compilations or compilations so good um you know stuff like from good looking records like some of the early atmospheric drum and bass stuff logical progressions yep yeah and so i was mostly just got into it through the record store and then made it out to shows and once i saw what was going on live in like the rave scene of the 90s that was kind of nailing that was all you know once once that happened i was like all in yeah um and was pretty involved in the scene in atlanta when i was growing up Mm -hmm. um and when i was in college got into college radio and started hosting radio shows for drum and bass and breaks and things like that Uh, was doing a little bit of internet radio as well and then helping to promote drum and bass shows in Atlanta. Yep. Uh, this was probably around 2003 to 2006 or so. So that's like right around when Evil Intent was on their on yeah. the tear. So I live like two blocks from the Evil Intent guys nice. when I was in Atlanta and Mayhem as well. Yeah. 
uh, we all sort of helped run this little collective called 404 Audio. Oh yeah, I remember uh, which yeah. sort of the LA, you know, jungle uh, scene. Yeah, yeah. At the, at, at the time, like before social media, mm-hmm. every city had their own little forum. Yep. You know, like uh, this is kind of before everything got centralized. Mm-hmm. And so 404 Audio was the one for Atlanta. Yeah, it was yeah, all I, about the uh, the message boards back then. Yeah, yeah. I remember. So the, for those of you who are not familiar, maybe with the drum and bass scene in Los Angeles, we had a forum out here called Jungle Scene, and that's where everyone basically just like talk shit on each other and <laughs> posted up uh, like club photos and yeah, it was events, good times. Events, yeah, and that. events. It, it really one that that like. Yep. That was what. So when I moved, I moved to LA in 2006. Yep. And at that point, it was just like, oh well, you're if you're visiting a city mm-hmm. or you're moving to a city, you can just kind of look up that yeah. city's drum and bass message Amazing. board. Yeah. Yeah. And so I signed up before I moved here mm-hmm. and started posting and looking at events and yeah, getting super excited because yeah, in 2006 the LA drum and bass scene was this. Yeah. monster it was very Static strong oh man super strong it you know and it was a tight-knit family too like i really felt what exactly brought you to los angeles grad school grad school oh yeah. cool cool so you're working with 404 audio back in atlanta and then you got uh, accepted into grad school and came out here yep Cool. Yeah, yeah. I was about to graduate from Georgia State University nice. with a film degree, and I just had no idea what I was doing. I was—I had studied film for five years, and then basically spent all my time involved in music. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so I sort of got out, and I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And luckily, I had a really cool advisor, kind of mentor-type mm-hmm. professor, yeah. and he was just like, Oh, you're gonna go to grad school, and I'm gonna help you get in. Nice. And that's what we're gonna do here. That's so. When you came to LA and before that, you were pretty like heavily involved in drum and bass. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the dubstep thing came along. Um, talk to us a little bit about that progression from drum and bass to dubstep, and then you, you know you started your own label. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, it all kind of lined up with me moving to LA kind of at the same time that dubstep was first kind of getting any notice outside of almost South London, you know, like the seminal uh, BBC show Dubstep Wars that Marianne Hobbs hosted was, you know, aired like less than a year before I moved here. Right. And there was a small crew of people in Atlanta that were really pushing dubstep super early and they actually did like the first all dubstep show I ever went to in maybe like 2005. And uh, then I moved to LA and the month I moved here, the month after I moved here was the very first all dubstep event in Los Angeles. Uh, that was also the very first uh, smog event. Right. So, yeah. uh, our buddies who basically started this dubstep uh, brand called Smog that, uh, for those that don't know, made became this like huge phenomenon and right. like, definitely helped make dubstep a huge thing in America. 
So they did their very first show and I went just by myself, didn't know anybody yet. And on my way out at the end of the night, ended up talking to Drew, who was promoting the night. Yeah. Uh, who's, you know, I guess Drew Smog. Uh, yeah, that's his last <laughs> Most name. Most people know him probably. Uh, that Smog. Yeah. Um, and uh, I chatted with him and we hit it off and he handed me his business card and it was an Insomniac business card and I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So this guy works at the company that does Electric Daisy Carnival. Uh, and, you know, coming from Atlanta, seeing pictures of events with like 10, 15, 20,000 people at the time was like mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, so, um, started hanging out with him a lot and sort of like saw smog develop, you know, from that first night with, you know, 80 people there or whatever into this big thing. And at the same time, drum and bass was also kind of, I mean, I'm just going to say it, going in a really cheesy direction. So when drum and bass was getting really cheesy, dubstep was super serious. And it was like dark and moody and minimal and it was this weird collection of people that hadn't really identified as a scene yet. There's hipsters there, there's reggae people there, there's drum and bass people, there's hip hop heads. It was just like random kind of mix. And so that was sort of the antidote to what was going on in drum and bass at the time, at least from my perspective. So I got really, really into it, and it definitely had this sort of more authentic feeling at the time, like 2007, 2008. Uh, and I just kind of got way into that. You know, it was really inspiring. There's a lot of really inspiring music happening within it. Uh, started DJing it more, uh, started making it. And it was sort of the first, I tried producing a lot over the years, and Dubstep was the first genre where I could make something that people would actually play. Right. Because uh, the bar was so high in drum and bass that I just was not a good enough producer to make anything that sounded like real drum and bass. Right. That was about the time Pure Filth was also doing their thing, and they were huge in Los Angeles as well. Yeah, yeah. Those good days. Those are those are some really fun, interesting times. Yeah, and it was also you know the sound system culture at the time needs to be appreciated as well because within drum and bass it had deteriorated a bit in terms of standards where it was kind of like yeah we're just gonna you know any kind of ragged out system will do we just want to hear you know these tunes really loud and then you know sam from pure filth and you know the the dubstep scene came in and kind of brought more of that importance of sound back into the mix where yeah. they're just like, you know, we're not going to spend any money on anything <laughs> at all except the sound. Yeah. I, yeah. I never understood like why with drum and bass people would want to just throw up like two Mackies and like a weak ass sub. Like it's, it's not supposed to be played like that. It doesn't sound right when it's played like that. 
Uh, or either that or they have like dope ass equipment but don't know how to dial it in. Right. Like, I've, I heard a couple clubs that still to this day like don't have it right. And it's just like you gotta respect the sound, dude. You gotta get it right. But I'm glad that there's people like Pure Filth that cared. Yeah. Because that really like it helps people care more about the music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pure Filth's still doing their thing. Uh, they do our, the sound for our events. Yes. Yeah, so we're really appreciative of that. You know, trench towns that from them say, where you from? It's a trench town. You're gone, 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 you started producing dubstep. Mm-hmm. Like, how was your evolution as an artist for it? I mean, uh, as far as dubstep, I really... What really grabbed my ear was the techno-influenced stuff that was coming out in the early days from, and a lot of it was made by drum and bass producers that were sort of shifting out of drum and bass because of what was going on in that genre. Mm-hmm. So people like Martin, yeah, uh, who now has a label called 3024, uh, but he really was one of the first ones to kind of head off in a different direction yeah and i mean his early dubstep releases came out on uh revolver which is a sub label of solar yep. marcus and alexis legendary drum and bass label r.i.p um yeah indeed uh and then uh you know there was uh people like pinch peverlist um you know, but like seven recordings was a really big influence on me. There's a guy on there who was just called the letter F. It's just F. Oh, I remember F. Yeah. Yeah. Made great stuff. Uh, his album Energy Distortion is one of, if not my favorite uh, dubstep albums. Nice. Right. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, and so that was what was really inspiring to me at first. And mm-hmm. I wasn't so much into just the you know the wobbling saw wave mm. lfo yeah. just big like kick big snare yeah uh it was more about the stuff that was more textured and yeah you know i came from sort of a liquid drum and bass background so it was almost anything that was sort of that vibe at 140 beats per minute nice i was kind of into so it was like a bit a bit more musical than a lot of the other subgenres. Yeah, and yeah. definitely just pulling a lot from that techno palette. Yeah. Um, That's cool. And uh, or or just straight dub reggae. Yeah. Mixed together or the kind of rhythm and sound dub techno kind of influenced nice. stuff. That's cool. Uh, and so that's what I started making and mm-hmm. eventually uh, ran a label kind of pushing that sound called Deceased. Yep. And did that for about five years. And over time, uh, as people might be aware, uh, the tables kind of flipped again. Mm-hmm. And it was dubstep that became uh, a little more, I mean, at least to me, kind of cheesy and a little more focused on like just big epic scale. And yeah. Uh, 
at the same time, drum and bass was getting really interesting again, mm -hmm. and it had sort of gone back underground in a lot of ways. And uh, and within that sort of going back underground was a new kind of strain of drum and bass that was more uh, structured around halftime beats. Yeah. Where you still have the really fast, jungly, chopped up breaks and stuff on the top end, mm -hmm. but the kick and snare are spread out and sound more like they're at a hip hop tempo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People like Ohm Unit, Sam Binga, Fracture, uh, labels like Astrophonica, Exit Records. Oh, yeah. Um, D Ridge always doing interesting stuff. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So that whole sound just sort of was the perfect blend of the two things I'd done prior to that. like to know because I'm not super familiar with halftime although I, I do have friends that make it you're one of them and Ryan origin also yep gets into that shouts to Ryan shouts um, like is, is there a night in LA that is focusing specifically on halftime or is it just kind of like artists going to the already established clubs like where, if somebody wanted to go out and hear some halftime, like where would they go? Uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of a mix right now, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, respect brings people through from yes. time to time. Yeah. And, you know, they will book any kind of drum and bass. And I love that mm -hmm. because I can go there and hear something different every week. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so they've brought in most of the people that I've mentioned at one point or another. Yeah. Uh, um, B-Side, mm. which is sort of known as a dubstep promoter, but they've done a couple shows with guys that are playing more halftime drum and bass. That's cool. Uh, but then uh, also um, Rocksteady, okay. which is, uh, is that a Tuesday night in Little Tokyo yeah. at Tokyo Beat. That's right. Yep. Done by the Juke Bounce Work Bounce crew, work. Yeah. who are sort of known more for pushing the Juke footwork sound, but yeah. they book all kinds of folks that play that kind of music as well. It's a really interesting night to go to. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's also a whole separate world that I barely know anything about that's all sort of uh, tied into anything from low-end theory. Yeah, low-end So theory. they've brought in uh -huh. people that are doing more of the halftime yeah. stuff that's more just straight beat-driven. Yeah. And isn't as associated with drum and bass, so... It's more of like a... Like Ivy Lab and, right. you know, these producers who are from drum and bass and still do drum and bass, but they do this other stuff as well that mm. is just really kind of left field abstract beat. Yeah, it, that low in theory.
so so what's next for you man what are you working on right now um what are you looking to do i i, I we were talking a little bit earlier you mentioned possibly another label yeah i don't know what's next uh i've just been making a lot of music uh definitely sitting on more unreleased music that i'm actually happy with uh than i have in a really long time and been sending out a lot of demos and just the for how small it is and you know DIY it is sometimes music stuff still moves really slow and it's hard for me to ignore the fact that there's so many other ways to get music out now than just sending demos and trying to get signed and hoping and praying getting it signed and then waiting and waiting for some more for it to come out and <laughs> you know uh, there's a lot of appeal to me of just being able to kind of do my own thing at my own pace so I'm starting to warm up to the idea of maybe doing another label but we'll see what happens did the, des uh, the design for Deceased 2, right? I did some of it. You did some it was of a it. mixed bag. Uh, it was between me and Zach uh, Mask. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So between the two of us, we did pretty much everything visual that was associated with Deceased. And we collabed on a bunch of stuff, music and visuals and events. And yeah. Uh, another point I just thought of, like, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, artists, musical artists, that also have skills on the graphic side. Mm -hmm. Jeff Tobar over here and yourself. Yeah. I think that's so important to have as an artist because you don't have to pay anybody to do great work. And I think a lot of people underestimate how important it is to have a visual uh, theme with your music. Yeah. You know? Totally. At the same time, I've also kind of tried to not do my visuals oh, I and see. try to seek out people that can do visual stuff I'm not capable of. Mm, yeah. Because, you know, it, like everything these days, there's a scene for everything on the internet. Yeah. And true. you'll find people that are really popular in a scene <laughs> who get a lot of the attention, but there's tons of other people that are super talented below them that aren't really getting a whole lot of love. Yeah. Uh, and I try to seek those people out, mm. work with them. That's interesting. Uh, partly because, you know, I feel like I'm sort of an equivalent yeah. level yeah, in my yeah. world. Uh -huh. uh, and also I like working with, you know, folks that are a little more underdog. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it helps with the budget too. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Be pragmatic about it. <laughs> interesting. Uh, so that's why I got into design is because we needed flyers for our, our events that I was doing and I was like well I don't want to wait for someone I don't want to have to explain it I'll just learn Photoshop yeah and so Damn. yeah you got really good yeah <laughs> you did get really good <laughs> I don't even really use Photoshop anymore these days oh yeah yeah what's the new shit man well being a UI UX designer it's more sketch. about sketch got you okay
So go ahead and let us know where we can find your music. Where are you at on the internets? Um, uh, yeah, so I've... Man, it's weird. I'm like kind of quiet on the internet these days. Uh, it just... I don't know, it feels like a weird time culturally. I don't really feel fully connected to what's going on, especially with social media. Uh, but, you know, pretty much ghosted from Facebook at this point. Uh, if I am active on the internet, it's gonna be Twitter, at Matt Deco, uh, SoundCloud, Matt Deco, uh, MixCloud, Matt Deco. You just kind of search for Matt Deco, you'll find me on all those platforms. Uh, I still, you know, even though it's owned by Facebook, I, you know, have an Instagram account. Again, Matt Deco. <laughs> You're sensing a theme here. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm at these days. And you have uh, the back catalog of Deceased on Spotify, right? Yeah, so everything's still distributed. Uh, I've also been using DistroKid to get some of my own stuff out, you know, kind of outside of release cycles. So if you search Spotify, Apple Music, uh, pretty much any music platform out there, uh, I'll be there. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This yeah, thanks. Thanks again. You know, we've we've known you. We've known each other for so long now, and. It's, it's cool to be able to do this together. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate yeah. it. Cool, man. Well, thanks again, Matt. Really appreciate you coming down uh, and really looking forward to the music that you're going to be mixing for us. Uh, so let's get into the mix with Matt Deco.
What's up? This is Matt Deco, and you're listening to Chromacast.
Deco, and you're checking out my mix right here on Chromacast.
Hey, this is Matt Deco. Thanks for checking out Chromacast.
This is Chromacast. Thank you for listening. Head to thisischromacast.com for more of these sounds. Just Chromacast? Chromacast, yeah. Okay. Not the Chromacast. No. Okay, got it. Just making sure.